This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Have you ever wondered how a challenging business turn could possibly be used as an opportunity in your business? God uses the unlikely turns in our businesses as stepping stones to our next experience with him. Today's guest shares what he learned from business crises and turns that we can all use for business turnarounds in our own lives. Steve McKee is the co-founder of McKee Wallwork, a nationally recognized marketing advisory firm. The firm made the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America its first year of eligibility and twice won the prestigious Effie Award for marketing effectiveness from the American Marketing Association. The firm has twice been recognized by Advertising Age as Southwest Small Agency of the Year and one of the nation's best places to work, and also won the publication's National B2B Campaign of the Year Award. Steve McKee is the author of the groundbreaking book on change management, Turns, Where Business is Won and Lost. Other books include When Growth Stalls, How It Happens, Why You're Stuck, and What to Do About It, an award-winning business book now published in four languages, and Power Branding, Leveraging the Success of the World's Best Brands, and that New York Times bestselling author Jay Baer called The Definitive Book on Modern Branding that should be mandatory reading in every business school in America. A Businessweek.com columnist for a decade, Steve currently writes a popular monthly column for Smart Brief on leadership. He's been published or quoted in the New York Times, USA Today, Forbes.com, Investors Business Daily, and the Los Angeles Times, among others, and has appeared on television networks, CNBC, ESPN2, CNN, Bloomberg, and more. So welcome, Steve, to the Voice of Leadership and to Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. I'm so delighted to have you here with me today. And I'm delighted to be here, Dr. Karen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you have a lot of wisdom and good information to share with my community. And first, Steve, I want to start with just unpacking a little bit about your business. So tell us about your business. What is it that you do? How do you serve your clients? And what are you known for? A great question. We uh, It's been quite a journey in my business. Uh, we do call ourselves a marketing advisory firm, which is a little unusual. And we advise organizations. The shorthand we've come to is organizations that are stalled, stuck, or stale. And we help them turn things around. Our actual mission statement is to help organizations and their people become what they're intended to be which gets into a whole host of psychological factors as well as strategic factors. And it's just a blast to do what we do to help companies grow and thrive. Oh, that's a wonderful 
mission if you're stalled, stuck, or stale. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll get a little more into that as we go along. I know one of the other, I guess, languages, a way that you talk about it, helping struggling organizations to right their ships, so to speak. Yes. So yes. they're sailing on the seas and then they get upright. So maybe say just a, a word or two about that as well. It's a good metaphor because if you're sailing on the sea, you've got winds that are blowing in all kinds of directions. You've got waves and you've got currents, none of which you can control. And so we all who've been in business have to deal with that on a regular basis. But there are so many things that you can control. And, and so one of the things we counsel our clients to do is work on those external strategic issues that you can't control, but you can influence. But make sure that the things you can control, whether it's the height of the sails, you know, or the way the ship is tacking uh, left and right, that you can control. Uh, the, the culture on the ship, all those things are in your power to control. And if you do those things, you're probably going to be be all right, regardless of the weather. I love that. So there is yeah. a way to sail through the stormy seas, if you will, and to be successful. Thank you for sharing that. So I know, Steve, that despite all of the accolades for your business, that even in your business, you ran into some business challenges yourself. So what happened with your company and what did you do to address those challenges? Yeah, that's the way this whole thing got started. It was a uh, a uh, little more than 20 years ago, we were formed in 1997 and had some immediate success. Five years of rapid growth, we made the Inc. 500 list. And then we found ourselves adrift. We stalled. We For, for about two years, we went sideways and didn't really know what hit us. We had uh, we're a professional services firm. We had more than 90% turnover in that time period, which is hard to do, <laughs> uh, but we managed. And uh, we're adrift. And so what we ended up doing was uh, we had made the Inc. 500. We felt like we made it be cheated our way into that, even though we didn't, because it's just the timing was really crazy. So since we were in that club, we thought, well, let's talk to other Inc. 500 companies. The list had been around for 20 years by then. So there were several thousand companies that had been on it. Let's talk to other Inc. 500 companies and see if we can uncover the secret to growth. So we uh, looked through all the cushions on our sofa, you know, metaphorically speaking, and came up with the money, which was not easy to do when we were struggling, and commissioned a study among Inc. 500 companies looking for the keys to growth. And what we found instead were the keys to failure, which uh, reveal the same thing because they tend to be the mirror opposite of one another. And we identified four factors that companies tend to deal with. Um, about 20% of Inc. 500 companies up to that point had been in the same situation as we were, where their growth had stalled. And we identified among those 20% of companies four factors that tended to derail their growth. And sure enough, one, two, three, four, we were suffering from all four. And uh, that was the bad news. The good news is we thought, now that we know what the problem is, maybe we can work our way out of it. And we did. And then we began consulting in that direction. And one thing led to another. And we I like to say we've failed our way to success. Because <laughs> now that's our specialty. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, okay. You gave a teaser there about the four things that make a difference in terms of failure. So what are those four? Well, I could talk for hours about them, but I'll just give you the headline. Yes. Uh, we see this over and over and over in the companies we consult. And even now that when I read the business press, I see these factors everywhere. The first and most sinister is a lack of alignment among the team, beginning with the management team, but it can extend all the way down to the through the company. And when things start to go south, when you start to have an issue, uh, that random comment that somebody across the conference room table might have made uh, last year that didn't bother you now all of a sudden bothers you. Or as I like to say, when you're buying a new house and a new car, you can overlook a lot of things. But when your mortgage is threatened, things become kind of scary. So teams that start to have 
a lack of consensus or a lack of alignment, it's a big problem because it doesn't matter what your strategy is. If you're not aligned, you won't execute it. And it's it's the most common one we see. And it's the most insidious because often teams don't want to don't want to realize it. Or or it's, you know, it's passive aggressive behavior or it's hallway conversations, those kind of things that are easy to overlook. So that's factor number one. Again, I could talk about these all day. The second factor is related to it. It's a, a lack of focus in the marketplace, which happens one of two ways. Either you're doing really well and you get cocky as an organization and you start getting into lines of business that you shouldn't. You don't have any business being in. That happens. Or uh, you get hit with some sort of an external event like a recession or a new technology or a new competitor and it knocks you off your game. And so you start pursuing business that you shouldn't. Uh, that's problematic. Number three, you're going to see these are all related. We call a loss of nerve, which is where you lose it. Most often that manifests in how you spend or don't spend your money, cut back investments in marketing, cut back R&D, cut, cut back training, those sorts of things. But also uh, loss of nerve tends to make companies sort of want to stand under the same tree as their competitors because it feels safer under there instead of being differentiated. And then the fourth is inconsistency. When you're casting about looking for solutions, you are casting about <laughs> looking for solutions and it's hard to stick with anything. And as you can probably imagine, these four factors, lack of alignment, loss of focus, loss of nerve, inconsistency, feed off of one another. And it can create a vicious cycle that often takes companies down. And that's what was happening to my firm until we interrupted it. Uh, we see it over and over out there. Well, thank you for sharing those four, because I think that'll be quite instructive. People will be able to sort of take a look at themselves and conduct their own assessment. Where are we on these four variables? And so what I'd like for you to unpack, Steve, is going back to your own experience in your own company, just walk us through how each of those four manifested in your business. What did you see? And then as you were seeing it and kind of got savvy about it, what did you specifically do? Yeah, great question. I, you know, I often, I do a lot of research in, in my job. And as I was looking, normally I'm the dispassionate objective outside observer looking for patterns in the research on behalf of my clients. In this case, it was all too personal. And as I was looking at all the data, it was like a mirror reflecting back to me. And so we, uh, having grown very rapidly for five years, we plateaued in our growth, which revealed a loss of focus. We didn't know it at the time. Basically what had happened was, in those early years, uh, we built the company on reputation alone. Uh, I have two partners and we all, we had been in the business. And so uh, when we struck out on our own, a lot of people came our way and a lot of good things happened, but we neglected to firmly position the organization. So we didn't really have a focus. And that's what, in retrospect, that's what led to the stall. It was the loss of focus. With my two partners, the lack of alignment reared its ugly head because we were in disagreement about what to do about it. So we would have arguments. We had a lot of respect for one another, but arguments about we should we should do this or we should do that. We should go this way. We should go that way. And we couldn't really get any traction. As a result of that, losing our focus and not being aligned, well, we couldn't, we didn't have the courage to like invest in growth in any form or fashion. And as things began to drift, you know, as people began to leave the company because they sensed it was a drift. Uh, by the way, you lose your best people first because they have options. We would quietly not replace them, thinking nobody noticed. Well, of course, people notice, and so that created a, a you know, courage is contagious, so is fear. In inside our company, that created this awful dynamic, and then we found ourselves just trying to survive, and that's where we were being inconsistent because we would try this strategy there for ten minutes, <laughs> and then this one there for five minutes, 
And that just fueled the lack of nerve, which fueled the loss of focus, which fueled the lack of alignment. And we were in, in a spiral. It was a very difficult time. We ended up uh, getting out of it. Uh, I, I, I mean it when I say we failed our way to success. We did notice the four factors. It was about that time that one of our partners left. It, it just broke. The partnership broke and she left. She was the one that I had, I was having the most conflict with, um, which might make sense. And so the good news is when my uh, remaining partner and I decided we needed to fill that hole, we were equipped now with the knowledge of the need to be aligned. And so we recruited differently and we've brought someone on who was aligned with us. And that alignment was really around it. And part of the interview process was where are we going to focus as a company? And then things began to take care of themselves. And we got excited again about our business, which fuels your nerve. And we set up, set about to build something. And that was 20 years ago, 2003. We, it kind of unfolded from 2003 to 2005. So 18 years ago when we really came out of it. We haven't looked back since. You know, We've been affected by the Great Recession like everybody else. But at every partner meeting during the Great Recession, we would look each other in the eye and say, how are we doing on alignment? How are we doing on focus? How are we doing on nerve? How are we doing on consistency? And it kept us together. And so it's been a wonderful thing. And of course, given that we consult on it with clients now every day, it just it gets reinforced, reinforced. It's like a marriage counselor who has a better marriage because they're always doing marriage counseling. So that's sort of an idea. I think it's wonderful the way you say that repeatedly. You keep asking yourselves internally the same questions over and over to see where are we. And I think it's important what you said about how that alignment, the absence of that really brings up the problems in the other three areas. You're not going to have the right focus. You're not going to really have the nerve that you need or the consistency if the alignment isn't right. And I think so many companies they don't see where the alignment throws them off and that great people who they have are not the right people for them at this season in their business. And it's actually stalling the business, although they don't see it yet. It's easy to ignore because you don't want to see it. You really don't. If there's if there's passive aggression going on, sometimes you just want to ignore it or or those hallway conversations. We find it's kind of interesting because on the alignment factor, some companies are um, autocratically aligned, if I could put it that way. If you have a very strong leader, like a Steve Jobs, very headstrong leader, then it's follow me or get out, my way or the highway. And there's some downsides to that, but at least there's alignment. Most companies don't have that kind of charismatic visionary at the top. Uh, you know, we're capable people, but we don't. And so our alignment has to be more of a consensus-based alignment. That's where it can go wrong. And it can especially go wrong in autocratically aligned companies when the autocrat leaves or dies because the culture is going to change. Uh, Apple has navigated that pretty well. Most companies don't. Yeah, those are great insights. So you've given us a picture of what happened to your company internally and I know that you guys were also exploring some, I'll say, technology kinds of solutions. Maybe share a little bit about what you were doing on the technology side and maybe how come that wasn't the best fit for where you were at the time. Well, you know, it was the dawn of the of the Internet, really. I mean, it, that, that, it was earlier, but social media hadn't really come along yet in the mid to in the mid aughts, right? 2000s. Uh, we didn't have the iPhone yet. So uh, we didn't really have social media. We had the internet and it was moving along. And that was a very dynamic time in the marketing and advertising world because it was all new. And so we explored going down the avenue of becoming 
technology-driven company, technologically-driven experts, but it's just not really what our skill set is. Again, in retrospect, it's easy to see we're much more comfortable with the human dimension. That's where we really add value, but at the time, we didn't know. And so it was, it was just, again, professional services business that can be part of the problem because we didn't like invent a product or uh, you know that we were trying to sell. We were trying to consult with companies, and in a brave new technological world, we we lost our way just like they did. That's a great example because what I see is you, and I'm sure your partner's very smart people. You could were sort of visionaries in a way. You had some good ideas, and yet what you wanted to deploy might not have been the right idea for you at the time Mm -hmm. and given the expertise that you had in your organization. And it kind of goes with something you said earlier, which I also really believe in. It's really important to succeed with your distinctives and your strengths. Mm -hmm. And if you're dabbling in something and you have an understanding of it, but it's not really a distinctive, it's not your strength and a bigger player out there might do that better. You could get gobbled up and eaten alive, you know, trying to go in that direction. It's easy to try and be a jack of all trades and master of none when you're in the consulting business. It's very easy to do that, especially in the world from which we came, the advertising agency world. We've sort of transcended that world now. We're we're kind of a, a in a category of our own because we are part advertising, marketing agency, creative, all that stuff you could think, part McKinsey, Bain, consulting kind of a thing. And um, we, we're very comfortable in between those two worlds. We find that it's very good for our clients. But again, we had to kind of fail our way there. I couldn't have written it on a whiteboard and said, this is where we're going. We just kind of discovered it. I love it, though, because you've just described the unique way that you are distinctive. Let's say from every other consulting company out there, you have some lenses and perspectives that you're bringing that are different from what the competitors might do. It's more than the McKinsey's. You've got an added little piece that perhaps they don't always pursue. So that's a winning success formula to really find that and to live in that way. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that aspect of your own journey. Now, I know that because of what you've learned through all of this, you are also facilitating the success of clients. So maybe give us some examples. Tell us the stories of maybe one or two clients, not by name, but just, you know, the dynamics. Well, typically when when uh, when a company starts working with us, it's really interesting because they, they look at us from the outside in and they say, okay, this company looks interesting. This consultant looks interesting to us. And then they kind of stick a toe in the water. And if you get on our website, we dive right in. (laughs) We get straight to the point on our website. We challenge organizations based on these internal dynamics. So it doesn't matter what business you're in. We work with companies in a variety of industries uh, very intentionally because we believe in cross-pollination of ideas. Every company has these four factors uh, inside them. One of the things I like to say is physical health is the successful battle against things that are trying to kill you. And that's actually literally true because there's bacteria in our bodies at any given time that's trying to take us down. When our uh, our immune system is healthy, our antibodies are killing the bacteria and that stasis is health. When our immune systems get depressed due to stress or cold or whatever, uh, it allows the bacteria to rise up. And if they're not treated, they can kill us. Same exact thing in true in business. The four factors that I see, the lack of alignment, loss of focus, loss of nerve consistency, they're present in every company all the time because we're human beings. Like lack of alignment, you know, we don't, we don't agree on everything. But when a corporation is healthy, when it's winning in the marketplace, that corporate immune system tamps them down. It's when something happens, a new technology, a new competitor, 
a new a succession plan. Then the the internal dynamics rile up, and if they're not addressed well, that's the problem. So all kinds of clients come in at all kinds of phases. Some of them know they're sick, <laughs> and they say, help us, give us some penicillin. Um, some of them don't. They know that there's something wrong. They're not succeeding in the marketplace. They're When I say those words stalled, stuck, or stale, they all mean something unique. They're stalled, <laughs> or they're stuck. They don't know how to address something, or they just feel like they're stale and tired. And they come to us for that reason. We go straight to the heart, straight to the internal dynamics. And then it's a matter of, it's it's just a wonderful experience to to talk about the real stuff that's really going on and address those internal dynamics. I'm fond of saying, you mentioned, you know, uh, us being differentiated. Any good consultant in our world can help you deal with the external strategic issues. We're the only company that I know of that can help you get to the heart of the internal cultural issues. And if you don't do both of those things together, you're probably not going to succeed. So every one of our client assignments is different, but they all involve that sort of formula. Give us a picture of how you entered with the client. They were at one place and where did they end up after working with you? So a company came in, in a crowded home services category, uh, think plumbing, HVAC, those the, the people that call on you, you know, for home services. And it's a crowded category where they're suffering from a real lack of differentiation. Uh, internal dynamics are reasonable, not great. Not bored, but not going in the right direction. So they came in thinking they needed better advertising. <laughs> it's not what they needed. They needed uh, a better strategy, a better differentiation strategy. But that means giving up part of the market to focus on another part of the market. And that generates all kinds of fear. So they were struggling from a lack of focus, which is very common because you kind of want to be all things to all people. The thought of overcoming that, which any good consultant can tell you how to do that, you got to you know pick and stick, focus, generated fear, which contributed to internal division. And so you're beginning to see this fever starting to break. Well, by helping them understand the dynamics that are going on and why it's totally natural, um, I forget who said it, but um, there was a quote that I use sometimes and a gentleman said, we see a fundamental property of the universe and mistake it for a personal failing which we do all the time. So we help them to see that, no, this is just normal. It's absolutely normal. When you start to stall, these four factors start to rear their heads. You got to address them. And so first thing we do is we got them aligned around an objective. That's the first thing. You can. It's a lot easier to get aligned around an objective than around a strategy because everybody's arguing about what the strategy should be, but pretty much everybody can come to an agreement about what we need to do. We need to start growing again or whatever it is. Get them aligned around an objective so you can begin to build on that alignment. Then we look at the strategic options for focus. We did that through a very sophisticated um, consumer segmentation study, identified a niche that they actually got excited about. And crazily enough, the way to overcome a loss of nerve is through excitement. We painted the picture for them that if we pursue this niche and you're in a unique position to pursue this niche in service of that objective around which we're all aligned, then they started to get excited. When you get excited, you pull out your wallet. <laughs> figuratively and literally. And they said, let's go for it. And then the test became, okay, but you got to stick with it because that's the the inconsistency test. So this is a company that was trying to serve the whole market and doing middlingly. We narrowed them to 17% of the market as a market niche that just happened to fit them really well. They went after it with gusto. This was uh, 14 years ago and they're still crushing it. 
they're still crushing it. Just because we help them kind of get that realization about what it's all about and why they're stuck. And they have a healthy corporate culture and they've been doing really well since then. And you can imagine the joy that that brings to us, helping to equip people to actually be able to, to do this on their own. That's a wonderful example. So powerful. I love the example. And what I hear in it is that more is not always better. If you're able to serve that 17% at the highest level and better than your competitors would be serving them, that 17% will feed you for a long time. It's a risk. It feels risky to say, okay, we're going to focus on the 17 and ignore the rest for right now. And yet that is the formula for success. So I'm so glad that you gave that picture so people could see the tangible aspect of how this works and why it works. And also at the beginning, you said, you know, people like to look outside for the problem. They don't always like to look inside and say, all right, it's something about how we're operating or our dynamics that we need to address. And so you help them to really see what the real issue is. So as you've been studying these businesses and also I'd say learning from your own experiences when you went through these crises. Also, I know that your experiences have led you to think about turns in life and how that turns are all a part of choices and options we have every day along the way. So talk to us a little bit about what is a turn and what are some of the general characteristics and principles that you've discovered about the nature of turns? Well, given what we do for a living, uh, you know, we help companies turn around in some form or fashion. Uh, we've really reflected a lot on how it is in the turns where the game is won and lost. If you think about an Olympic swimmer or think about um, a gymnast on the balance beam, you know, they can go across the beam, but then when they spin around, <laughs> that's when they fall off. Uh, in a swimming race, uh, the swimmers are all about the same speed, but someone has a better turn. Think about basketball, you know, as a game, it's in the transition, what they call the transition game. When the ball careens off the rim, you can get a fast break going. And so the same is true in business. When you're turning, when you're turning from a down market to an up market, you don't think about this much because things are just getting better naturally. It's when you're turning from an up market to a down market, whether that's all of us, like in a recession or an individual company, that's where it gets hairy. And if you, we can all identify with riding in a car that straightaways are easy. <laughs> I remember when I, I, I stole my dad's car before I had my driver's license, you know, went out for a joyride and um, it was terrifying. I did not a drive, but at least when it was straight, ask me to pull into a parking spot, forget it. <laughs> or parallel park, forget it. Where, that's where accidents happen in the turns. Accidents happen at intersections and, and on corners. And so in our business, we're kind of, we kind of deal with those things and, and there are all kinds of forces involved in a turn. There's all kinds of uncertainty if you can't see around the corner. It's just a wonderful metaphor for, for what it is that we do. And I think everybody can identify with, you know, you've all, we've all had to walk around that corner where we can't see what's on the other side. Or when you're going up that roller coaster and you can't quite see what's down that hill, <laughs> it's terrifying. So, I mean, yes, turns are a normal part of life, and yet they are challenging, as you said, and that's where we often have the accident. So what is it that stops people from successfully navigating the turns? And I know that one of the things you talk about is, is the fear of change in the process. So talk to us about that and other variables that keep people from navigating the turns without having an accident. Let's say. Yeah, we all, we all say we like change. 
and sometimes we like change after the fact, but we rarely like change when we're going through it. Again, a metaphor is is helpful here. If you're imagine yourself driving a car and you're going to take a hard right turn, what's happening during that turn? You're feeling yourself thrown against the door, which you're actually not being thrown against the door. It's being thrown against you. But that's that we could talk about that. You're feeling pressure tug on the steering wheel. You probably had to hit the brakes. Um, there's a curb there you might hit. If you don't hit the curb, you might hit that other car. So it's just, it's a natural time of, of uncertainty and fear. And, and so when you're faced with uncertainty and fear, it's easy to make bad decisions. It's easy to overcorrect and hit the curb or understeer and hit the other car. Uh, it's just a wonderful metaphor for business that you have to, when you're on the straightaway, you can set what's called cruise control because you don't have to worry about that much. Cruise control does not work in a turn. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried it. Um, thank goodness that when you hit the brakes, cruise control goes off automatically. Because if it didn't, we probably would try it, right? Going 65 and you try to make a turn. You must focus in the turns. It's forced focus. And that's what's so good about them. If you don't focus, you're going to make a mistake. All right. So if you do focus in the turn, what are some things you might see that let's say if the turn didn't come along, you might miss. So this turn could really be used as, a, I'll say, a leverage or opportunity. Yes. Well, if you're going in a straight direction, you have, you can call it 360 degrees of opportunity around you. Maybe call it 180 degrees. So everything from your due left to your due right. 180 degrees of opportunity there. If you make a turn at, uh, to any extreme, you get a whole new 180 degrees of opportunity. So sometimes you come to the end of a road. And you have to turn. You know, there's that sign. That there's, it's a dead end and you must turn. Sometimes you come to a fork in the road and you have to decide. Sometimes there are a lot of options and you get to decide. And that's one of the joys of being in business is saying, I'm going to embrace turns because uh, if we manage change better than our competition does, we're likely to come out ahead. It's just, it's not static. It's going to change. And so if the more we can embrace that, um, you get good enough at turns, you can win the Indy 500. And that's really true. If you get good enough at turns, you start to really embrace the turns. And that's what, um, you know, we try to encourage our clients to do. I like that word embrace. And one of the things, of course, now my company, I've been in business for about 28 years. And so I've faced a number of turns along the way, 9-11, 2008, mm -hmm. and then most recently, of course, this pandemic turn. And so when I hit the pandemic turn, I said, this is the time to be proactive, not passive, and to figure out how I want to go through the turn and what I want to accomplish in the turn. And that's comes from the experience of recognizing that you can make a turn successfully, you know, having done it before. You can. And we had the same, we had the same thought. I mean, the pandemic was awful and the, and the lockdowns, they were, they were awful, but. They also led to a lot of interesting, you know, they sped up R&D in a lot of companies. In our company, we changed dramatically. We embraced it. I mean, we hated it like everybody does, but we also embraced it and said, how can we how can we leverage video conferencing better? How can we leverage being a distributed workforce better? Um, what products and services should we give up? What should we add? It was a time of great innovation. And so, you know, when you're facing a turn, one thing you know is the road ahead is going to be new. <laughs> So let's find a way to embrace it. And that's really powerful because sometimes people 
don't want to go towards the new because maybe their sacred cow, their cash cow has been so successful on the straightaway. And yet if they don't turn, they're going to hit the brick wall that's at the end of the straightaway. Or run out of gas. Yeah. Or run out of gas or something's going to happen. And so it's just getting comfortable with the fact that turns are just normal and their opportunities is one of the things that I'm hearing and what you're saying and what you're talking about. I used to think that life was a series of straightaways, straightaways occasionally interrupted by turns. I now believe that life is a series of turns and only occasionally do we get a smooth stretch <laughs> bit of road to relax on. So embrace the turns. And you know, I'll say this, the one good thing about that, Steve, living out here in Colorado and when I lived in Kansas, there are, in Colorado, you have the mountains since you've got yeah. mountain roads. In Kansas, there's a lot of flat terrain and you could be driving for a long time. And if the road is straight for too long, it becomes monotonous and you fall asleep. So the turns also keep you alert so that you don't crash even on the straightaway in a sense. <laughs> That's right. Turns are, are safer in many respects because they keep you alert. We, you know, we've noticed this in industry. So if you're in the tech industry, the turns are coming fast and furious, right? There's no new technology that doesn't uh, get obsolete very soon. So I wouldn't want to be in that industry because the change is just too much, but at least they're aware of it. Whereas we consult people in industries that haven't changed in 50 or 100 years apparently they're changing but people don't notice it because like the hands on a clock they're moving so slowly they don't notice it and it lulls them to sleep and it can be a real problem so there are real advantages to to being in a rapidly changing environment for sure yeah it's almost like you are constantly practicing that exercise of the muscles on a regular basis so mm -hmm. that you don't get out of uh, practice it's your center of gravity if you think about it we all have a center of gravity that's why we can turn on our turn on a foot. And the older we get, the less we move, the worse our center of gravity, our, our ability to manage our center of gravity is. And then that's why we fall and break hips and die. Ooh. So it's just, it really is like our it's it's keeping your center of gravity. And in business, you're gonna get knocked off your center of gravity regularly. So the ability to find it again and quickly is a real skill. Oh, yeah, that's a great metaphor as well and a great picture of what it is that we're talking about and what are some of the success factors. So I know we've talked a little bit about what knocks people off and what they need to pay attention to. So when you think about the characteristics of successful businesses, one of the things that you say is that successful businesses are not one-trick ponies. So talk about that a little bit and maybe what else are important success factors for successful businesses? Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, on the one hand, as a successful organization, you need to have a you need to have a niche. As, you know, we like to say you pick and stick. But on the other hand, one trick ponies is a great metaphor because if you've got one trick, then one once people see it, they've seen it. You know, they can't do it, and so you are going to be imitated if you if you if you release anything into the world that is successful and that's making money, you're going to attract competitors. You're going to find yourself in a saturated marketplace where Customers have choices. I can go with you or I can go with them. And then you begin to compete on price and one thing leads to another and you're soon out of business. So it is on any business leader to continually innovate within their niche. Every once in a while, occasionally a company might have to uh, step out of its niche entirely. That's risk. That's really betting the farm. Most of the time you don't have to do that, but you need to continually innovate within your niche. My company, we've developed some intellectual property that's just terrific and people have taken it. You know, you lose employees and they take it with them. And I can rue that. I can hate that. It's unfortunate. 
but I choose to instead say, I just need to keep inventing then. And that's what we all need to do. We have to keep inventing. Exactly. And if you, the way I look at it, if you were able to invent it the first time, you have the capacity to invent something else again. So Steve, you and I both shared the view that service in business is actually ministry. So how did you come to that realization that business leadership is also service to God at the same time? Oh, it took a long time. <laughs> I got into this business when I was young and uh, I would say by accident, but it was really by providence. And I used to kick against the goads. I'd say, Lord, why am I doing this? You know, why can't I be a, a, a minister, a pastor or what have you? And over a period of years, he showed me what my gifts are and what my gifts are not and where he wants me. It's ministry on many different levels. One, on a purely economic level, when we help a stalled, stuck, or stale organization turn around and begin to grow again, they're creating jobs and paychecks which support real families. And I mean, that's that's real. That's a real thing, that kind of a ministry. But then even how we do it is also ministry because by demonstrating good human relations, not only with our staff, but with our clients, by trying to live that out, uh, it's a remarkable thing. We have an incredible culture here, I'm happy to say, in our company, driven by a biblical understanding of life and worldview and human nature, augmented by the four factors that we've been fortunate to discover and ensure that we are aligned top to bottom as a company at all times. doesn't mean we don't get knocked, knocked out of alignment. You know, We don't hit bumps and bruises, but we have this priority of always coming back, treating each other well, not letting those internal bacteria rise up. And I have just found that I've taken to calling myself a workplace evangelist because we're all evangelists. We're all called to evangelize. Mine's just in the workplace, you know, rather than in the, in the, in the four, four walls of a church. Yeah. And I, I really think that the majority of people will be ministry leaders outside of a church setting. There's a great, the world is big. It's a, it's a great place and God needs his people everywhere. And so I think it, the more we understand that and embrace it, the more we can be effective, you know, wherever we, we're placed. Yeah, if we just do it in our circles. I've, I've had this vision. I go to a pretty large church, and I've had this thought of if we put a giant map up of our city and gave everybody two pushpins and said, put a pushpin where you live and a pushpin where you work, the map would be covered with pushpins. And then the the moral of that story is just do what you need to do where your pin is. You, know, you don't need to get into my pin. And my pin happens to be this company and this industry and this work that I do. I want to do it to the best of my ability. My pastor couldn't do it if he tried, just like I couldn't be him if I if I tried. We all have a different calling. So we just need to, the old saying, right, bloom where you're planted. There's real truth behind that. Yeah. Having different calling and different gifts to go with mm -hmm. that calling as well. You've started to answer this a little bit when you were talking about the kind of culture that you have in your company, and maybe there's more you want to share. How does your faith inform how you operate, you know, at work every day? I don't think I can separate the, even that thought. My faith drives my every thought. Uh, I learned 30 years ago how having a proper worldview of original sin and salvation and all, all the stuff helps you in business. I, I read a proverb every day for every day of the month. And I have found that I tell young people who come to work with me who are open to it, I say, this stuff in the Bible, it works. <laughs> it really works. If, if there's so much advice like in the Proverbs for business, so much, so much advice. You know, don't sit at the head of the table and all that all that sort of thing. 
Uh, and then just the heart of trying to recognize that everybody who I work with has human dignity, has needs, has stuff going on. Um, how can I minister to that? That thought's always in the back of my head. So we have designed our company in the structures thereof to be consistent with biblical principles, even though we don't preach that, right? We're, a, we're, we're, not, we're not what I would call a Christian company. We're a company. It informs and infuses everything, everything that we do. We fail a lot, but we succeed some too. What I used to kick against when I was younger has become my delight. It just has become my delight to be in a in an industry that is not known for its integrity and uh, values, and to to be a, a light in that industry is just a delight. Thank you for being that light in your industry for sure. So tell us a little bit about how you personally came to faith. Wasn't something that was let's say, when you were two years old, but, you know, it kind of emerged later. So tell us a little bit about that journey. I was an unchurched kid, um, born into a Roman Catholic family, but unchurched. It was in high school when I got invited to a ministry called Young Life. I don't know if you've heard of Young Life. Oh, yes. Um, which they try to reach unchurched kids. And uh, I went to my first Young Life meeting, and there were cute girls there. So I went to my second Young Life meeting. <laughs> Got to be honest. And um, I heard the gospel for the first time. You know, they present it very in a very friendly way, in a very non-pressurized way. And over a period of several months, I came to understand the gospel. It was my time. God called me, and I gave my life to him. I was 16 years old, and I've never looked back. Phenomenal. That is just great. Let's turn a little bit in our conversation to talk <laughs> about your book that is called Turns. And what I will say about it, because I'm reading the book now, and I'll hold up a copy of it. I've got a copy of it with me right here. And so I've got this book. And here's one of the things I've observed already, Steve, is that people will get science, business, history, and other information besides, you know, the turnaround information in this book. It's quite interesting. So tell us a little bit about the book from your perspective, and what can people expect to get out of it? It's like nothing they've ever read before, which I, I think is, is what you're saying. Yeah, I, it started it started as an idea for, for turnarounds, because that's what we do for a living, and I just thought that book had been written. And I, I got fascinated with the idea of turns. So, I, th I said, I need to do some research. It took me about a year. And the first thing I did was look into the physics of turns, physical turns, which is just fascinating and mind-boggling and faith-building. And then I started getting into, well, there's been a lot of turns in history. So what have some of those been? There are a lot of turns in politics. There have been turns in religion, turns in sport, turns in every aspect of life, turns in story and theater. And I just immersed myself for a year in turns got kind of overwhelmed, honestly. And then it all came together, it crystallized for me that no matter the turn, physical, metaphorical, um, historical, they all share something, some things in common. And I said, that's it. That's it. So I have eight turns principles that any turn you're dealing with, you can uh, filter through those principles and learn something about them. So I had a, a, a blast. It, does, it, is, it is a wide-ranging book. I will, uh, I will admit that. That's what I love about it. I went all over the place, but hopefully there's a common thread um, that, you know, goes through about. Well, I would say there's definitely a common thread. And yes, you do go 
to many different places because you can. You have the background to talk about all of those issues. And I'll just share one thing that I learned that was interesting that's kind of not exactly about business and yet it's relevant to business. And that is what you said about flying in airplanes. And you talked about Mm -hmm. it any time. If you're piloting a plane, an engine could stall. And if you're in a one-engine airplane, your natural instinct is to pull up, and that's probably sure death. You really have to go down so that you take advantage of gravity and gain the momentum and then pull up later. If you pull up first, you lose the momentum, and that's going to cause you to crash. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And I said, there's a real business implication because sometimes we are in the airplane and what we think we should do is the opposite of what we really should do if we want to succeed. That's that loss of nerve in business. So you, you, you start to run into some trouble, some rough wind or you stall in business, you pull back, you pull back your spending, you pull back your investing, you pull back your, and you're going to crash. <laughs> it is scary to point the nose down to get some momentum going so that you can um, get some lift going again and get the engine going again. That's exactly what you need to do in business. I love that metaphor. It was given to me by one of my clients, honestly, who's a pilot. And the book is full of just interesting little tidbits like that. So if you have a creative (laughs) mind and you look at these things and turn them around and say, oh, this is an application to business or whatever. So it's definitely not your typical book in that sense. It definitely gives you something to think about. So what I want to share from the book is a little excerpt that's at the very beginning that kind of gives people a picture of the creative writing style. So so this is like all around us, page one, and it says, it was a turning point. I turned down the sheets and turned in for the evening, but my mental wheels wouldn't stop turning as I tossed and turned in bed. There was no turning back. And it turned my stomach to think of what would happen if we couldn't turn a corner. I couldn't afford to turn my back on this, but turning things over in my mind helped me turn the problem on its head and revealed how I could turn the tide. I drifted off to sleep, knowing everything was going to turn out all right. What yeah. would you like to share about that? I just, one of the things that I found remarkable as I started researching this was all of the ways we use the term and the concept of turns just in everyday life. Idioms, there's hundreds of turn idioms. And so I thought, I'm going to write a short story. I'm going to keep it very short because it's going to get annoying. <laughs> but there was, uh, I don't know, there's like 80 or 90 words that you just read and turns is in there 13 times. Uh, and yes, it's a little over the top, but I wanted to make a point. And the point is, turns are everywhere. They are all around us, which is the name of the first chapter. They're all around us. And yeah. so when we realize that, um, we realize we can learn something from them. And the better we get at navigating turns, the better we'll be at navigating turns. Yeah, and that little short story just kind of crystallizes this notion of turns being all around us. So I actually love that. You also have some other interesting themes that look like they're beyond business and yet they're related to business. So one of the threads that goes through the book is this whole thread of the Protestant Reformation. So 
talk to us a little bit about how the Protestant Reformation is still impacting life today, even though that happened a long time ago. Yeah, and people are like, what? <laughs> I, I That was one of the things in my research I came to, and I thought, you know, as a believer, this is one of the things that I really want to, to talk about, how Martin Luther, on October 31st, 1517, a real man in a real place, in a real date and time, did a real thing. He nailed 95 theses to the to the Wittenberg church door. And I really want to underscore that, that a real man made a real decision to do a real thing on a real day. Changed history forever, because you can know a lot about the Reformation or not know a lot about the Reformation, but that's basically where Europe, which was entirely Catholic, then became both Protestant and Catholic over the next few hundred years. Had that not happened, we wouldn't have had the pilgrims. Uh, we wouldn't have had America, not the way we conceive of it. And more importantly, probably most importantly, is none of us would be here because our ancestors would never have met. And when you think about how one man's act on one date and time could make could cause so many changes, not only the, the physical fact that uh, the pilgrims came over to America and, you know, did their thing here, but it informed the British Constitution, it informed the American Constitution, it informed our entire way of life. Our entire culture is really built on, you think of the Protestant work ethic, you know, where did that come from? So much of what we are and do is, is a result of that single event, and that's only one example of a single event. And one of the things that I hope to open up in the book is that what we do really matters. Martin Luther, on that date in 1517, maybe he thought he was going to get in trouble with the church, I don't know. I know he was trying to get some attention for it, but he could have had no idea. He could have had no idea the consequences that would come as a result of his act. I think the same thing is, is true of us in our day-to-day -day lives. None of us have any idea the consequences that can come from any individual act that we take, positive or negative, by the way. And to me, that's just inspiring. Just the whole thought of it is mind-boggling. Mind so I definitely wanted to include the book, The Reformation. I, that was one of uh, a handful of what I call meta-turns that I carried throughout each chapter because I wanted to touch on it in each chapter. And then, of course, there's hundreds of uh, micro-turns uh, mentioned throughout. Yeah, and I think that what I would double down on in terms of what you're saying is that what we do matters as well. And we may not even get to see it all in our own mm -hmm. lifetime, yet to be committed to what God is calling each of us to do. It's like the old saying where if a butterfly flaps its you know wings in one country halfway across the world, it's having some sort of an impact. It's that idea of the Protestant Reformation as an example. It's true. It's true. We all, everything every one of us does affects others around us. Exactly. So how can people get a hold of you? How can people get the book? Book is available anywhere fine books are sold. So amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. Um, you can look it up there. I'm easy to find. I'm Steve McKee. Um, that's my Twitter handle, Steve McKee. Uh, my company is McKee Wallwork, but stevemckee.com will, will take you there. So um I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in this, if you want to have some fun, go to our website. It does not sell us. It is going to talk about you from the jump. So if you're curious at all, you can go to mckeewallwork.com or stevemckee.com and get there and enter in to this conversation for your own company. I think you'll find it fascinating. Fantastic. Now, spell McKee just in case people are, don't yes. know how to spell that. Uh, McKee Wallwork is M-C-K-E-E. And then Wallwork, W-A-L-L-W-O-R-K, just like it sounds, McKeeWallwork.com. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what would you say 
Steve, you've shared a lot of golden nuggets so far today already that I know are going to benefit the people who are listening. What additional words of wisdom would you like to share for my community of corporate executives, those who want to make a difference because of their Christian values and faith rather than in spite of it, as I would say? You know, I mentioned the Proverbs earlier and a couple of them come to mind. Um, One of my favorite Proverbs is, uh, um, where no oxen are, the manger is clean but much increase comes from the strength of the ox. So if you're tired of shoveling the stuff, right? Uh, yeah, if you don't have any oxen, you gotta, you're going to keep your manger clean. But the increase comes from having oxen, which means your people. And uh, uh, just another proverb that comes to mind with respect to that is to know well the condition of your flocks, right? Know their faces. Life is about relationships, people. Business is about relationships, people. The rest of it is just window dressing. So I would just encourage people to focus on that. I love that. When I'm thinking about the clean manger, I'm also thinking, yeah, it's clean because there's no money in there either. (laughs) That's right. There's no money in there. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want that. And so sometimes we can forget that the sheep, the oxen, we might not like how they smell, but they're part of our success. (laughs) That's right. They make it happen. Exactly. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing these words of wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Karen. It's a pleasure. So we're going to close out today with a special reading that comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's the first chapter. And we know that the preacher, as the writer is called, is talking about how everything is vanity. And then in verse three of the first chapter, he says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We hear in these verses lots of opportunities for turns and circuits and for seasons and ways that days emerge. And our work on the earth is something that God calls us to do. So what I would say is, yes, listen to my guest, Steve. Embrace the turns. Learn how to navigate them successfully. And you will serve God in a more profound way. So enjoy this day and take every turn as an opportunity to learn. We live in a world with so many divides between groups of people. And today I am with Dr. Clarence Schuler, the president and CEO of Building Lasting Relationships. Dr. Schuler knows that cross-cultural friendships are part of the necessary healing journey. So Dr. Shula, tell us more about the power of cross-cultural friendships. 
Well, Dr. Karen, I love to do that. And you know, maybe the most important relationship or one of the most important relationships we can build are cross-cultural friendships. And the reason, because we have so much racial tension and we found that if people from different cultures become friends, it actually lowers the racial tension in America. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the Five Love Languages, the New York Times bestselling author, and I have written this book, this resource called Life-Changing Cross-Cultural Friendships, how you can help heal racial divides one relationship at a time. And we believe if people would get that book and read it with a friend and talk about it or make a cross-cultural friend and read through the book together, it can change lives forever and change the racial tension in America and make it a better one. So that's really our goal with that resource. Thank you so much, Dr. Shula, for sharing that. And for those of you out there, if you would like to donate and contribute to creating cross-cultural friendships in our world, go to ClarenceShuler.com and make sure you pick up a copy of the book for yourself and start a new cross-cultural friendship today. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.